read through those couple of chapters to understand kind of more of the history of the, the church in Ephesus. We noted also that this letter is one of the four referred to as the prison epistles. Uh, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Philemon are all written by Paul while he was incarcerated. And the reason that's important is it gives you uh, more understanding of the context in which he wrote the letter and it helps us to better understand what was going on in Paul's mind as he was writing. And so, um, you know, it's, it's interesting the way he lays this letter out. Um, the, the letter is actually broken down into two halves. The, the first three chapters deal with the wealth of our lives as a believer. Then the final three chapters deal with our response to that what Christ has done on our behalf and how we should respond and walk in uh, faith. And then as a result of that, the very last chapter is going to deal with the warfare that we contend with because we are walking with the Lord. And, and so this morning in chapter 1, we find that we are chosen by Him. Now before time began, the Lord knew that you would be sitting here on June 26, 2016 in this room listening to this message. And, and so, if you think about it for a moment, uh, the God knew that you and I would be Christians before time began. He knew who, which one of us would follow Him into salvation. Now, this subject just kind of blows our mind because I don't know that we fully comprehend this idea of predestination, and uh, I know I can't fully wrap my brain around it. However, hopefully we can clear up a little bit of confusion as we read through the text this morning. So let's get into it. Ephesians 1, beginning at verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Paul begins this letter, like most of his letter, with an introduction and a greeting that includes his name, his authority for writing, a desire for the recipients of the letter to 
uh, be wrapped up in the grace and the peace of God. Now, I, I know for years I, I listened to Pastor Chuck as he taught through the epistles, and he would always come to this uh, this greeting of grace and peace, and he would call it the Siamese twins of the New Testament. They're, they're, they always go hand in hand, grace and peace. It's never peace and grace. It's grace and peace. When a person understands the grace of God, that's when they are at peace. And, and you know, Paul was somebody who fully understood the grace of God. This is a man who set out to destroy the church and, and then was saved. And, and all of the sin and the, the wretchedness in his heart was saved. And, and so he understood the grace of God and he understood what it meant to be at peace with God. And, and so I don't believe he just wrote these words just to be like, hey, howdy. You know, um, you know, it's good to write you guys, and this is my greeting. I think Paul truly wanted people to understand that they can be at peace with God by understanding God's grace for their life. And, and so last week we saw that Paul wrote that he was an apostle by the will of God, not by the will of Paul. It wasn't something he chose for himself. It was something the Lord called him to. And, and by, by understanding that, that Paul had this calling, it, it's a great thing or a great example for us to keep in mind that God has a will or a calling for each one of us. And, and by this, I mean a purpose for our Christian life. And we're going to talk more about that when we get to chapter 4. However, this morning, we all need to realize that we... Uh, have been called by God, that, that He has something of value for us to, to do and participate in within the life of the church and, and the body of Christ as we're called as a church. And, and so the entire church will benefit and beyond into our community. We need to pray earnestly. And, and I encourage you to do that last week, to pray earnestly about what God has gifted your life with that will supplement what he wants to do through Calvary Chapel of Apple Valley. And so we pray earnestly about what he wants us to do, and then we put it into action. Our Christian life is supposed to be one of action. It's putting feet to our faith, so to speak. And there's no better way to do this than to find out what our gifts are to the body of Christ and then be busy about blessing those around us through those gifts operating in his grace and so paul also states here that he's writing to the saints at ephesus now that kind of usually stirs up a little confusion in our mind because you know a lot of people come out of catholicism and there's some really poor doctrine about what a a saint is and then in, in catholicism it's actually something that that you kind of get elevated to a position of sainthood, usually after you're dead, and it's because they can attribute some kind of miracle, and you know they have these steps that they have to go through in order to become a saint, and and so a lot of people in their mind think of somebody that has really achieved a lot as being a saint. Well, that's not biblical. the The Greek word for saint is hagios. And it simply means separated from our sin and therefore consecrated to God. And, and that can be applied to every one of us who is a believer. 
Every one of us have been separated from our sin. Tough morning. Um, and so it, it applies broadly to those who have accepted Christ. We, we have all become saints as a result of our salvation. Now, I apologize ahead of time to you English teachers, but there is an old saying that there are only saints and ain'ts. And, and so, I know, ain't ain't a word and you ain't supposed to use it. I, I understand that, but, but, but if there are only saints and ain'ts, you want to be in the saint category, not the ain't category. And uh, you can tell people St. Gary told you so, all right? And now, you don't have to call me St. Gary, it's okay. We're good. But all of us who are in Christ are considered to be saints. And he was writing to the saints in Ephesus, the believers there in Ephesus. Then he goes on in verse 3 and he said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Now, Paul expresses praise to God as we should, that because of establishing a relationship with the living God, that he was blessed beyond measure, that he had these blessings in his life because he was born again or he was saved. Because of what Jesus did for us on the cross, we are now blessed with every spiritual blessing. Everything that we need in life can be found in Jesus Christ. How many things? Everything. Yeah, not some things, but everything we need in life can be found in our relationship with Jesus Christ. Remember what Peter said in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 2 and 3, it says, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, as His divine power has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us by glory and virtue. He's given us all things, everything that we need. Every spiritual blessing is ours and can be found in Jesus. Now that's a, a great thing for us to know that we have such an awesome God who has, in, has good intended for us. So awesome that he, he freely pours out this blessing upon our lives just because He loves us and we're His kids. You know, so many people feel like they're not candidates for this. You know, they look around and they think, you know what, I, I can see why God loves this person or that person. They're pretty decent. But, but he, he can't love me like that because I'm not. I'm, I'm wretched. I'm a sinner. And, and so we, we tend to disqualify ourselves from this position in Christ. And that's not what the Scripture teaches, though. We have, to, we have to take our understanding from the Scriptures, not just what we feel about life. The Scripture teaches us that we who are Christians are truly the ones that this promise is directed toward. And, and all blessing flows from our Father's hand. We are the recipients of His abundant goodness. Now, that doesn't mean trouble-free. 
doesn't mean because He's good and has good intended for us, we'll never experience trouble. In fact, we're promised in this life that we'll experience tribulation. But, but if, we, if we understand the goodness of God, even when we're experiencing those rough times, those times of tribulation and turbulation and uh, pressure in our life, we'll understand that God is good and, and that He will sustain us during those difficult times. Now, I have good news for you this morning. God has sought you out. I know He sought me out. And, and He's done that in, in order to bless us according to His Word and these promises that we're reading about. It's so important that we get this and understand this point. He, he desires us to know Him and to live in His blessing. Check out what He says next in verse 4. Just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the good pleasure of His will, to the praise of the glory of His grace, by which He made us accepted in the Beloved. Now, this, this idea of being chosen by Him has confused many people in Christianity throughout the years. Just what does it mean to be chosen by God or to be predestined to be His child? You know, there are all kinds of teaching out there, and I've read for years the, the contrast of opinion. There's the, the Calvinist opinion of predestination, and there's the Arminianist opinion of free will and choice, and and, and there's a wide gulf between the two opinions, and, and arguments have gone back and forth. Now, we're going to settle that this morning. No, we're probably not. <laughs> arguments just seem to go on and on and on for centuries. But one thing we can know is that there is a balance in that teaching, that there, there are both of those ideas presented to us in the Scripture. So how do we reconcile in our mind this idea of predestination, being predestined to be a child of God. Well, I think the first thing we have to do is understand that God doesn't see things the way we see things. You know, we try to picture God as a human with a human mind and, and, and you just can't box Him into our humanity. You see, we, we have a finite mind. It means it's not unlimited in our understanding. And, and so... Uh, one thing is in, in the way that we view time. When we look at time as human beings, we see past, we see present, and we hope to see the future. We, we don't know what it is yet, but we're, we're hoping we get to experience it and it doesn't end today in our present. And, and so we look at time in these categories and we, we, we look at things that have happened and we say, okay, well, that's the past. And we look at things that are happening now and we say, okay, we see them happening now, but we cannot see the future. Well, when God looks at time, He sees one event. It all happens. Past, present, and future is all the same to Him. And so He can look at humanity and He can say, you were predestined to be my child, knowing that you were going to accept Him as as." 
as Savior before the foundation of time. Before He even began creation, He knew which people would accept Christ. And so He could say, you were predestined from the foundation of time. Picture it like this. When you get to heaven, there's a couple of doors up there, and and God says, go through that door. And you walk through that door, and as the door opens, you see a sign that says, you were predestined from the foundation of time to receive eternal life. Enter in. Now, if you never went through that door, you would never know that you were predestined to get there. So, how does that apply to us today? Well, Salvation is offered to every man. That's the door, so to speak. And and if you open that door, you will see the sign that says, from the foundation of time, you were called to be my child. It's as simple as that. It's making a decision to respond to what he has done and to take the, the step of faith to move through it. And so if you're here this morning, you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you may be wondering, well, Am I one of the chosen people? Walk through the door and you'll know you are. You just have to open the door and walk through and you'll like, wow, I was chosen from the foundation of time to be God's child. I mean, let's look at the facts. You're sitting in a church. You're hearing about God's great love for you. You're going to hear the plan of salvation here in a moment. And, and so the... The idea that God has chosen you is all around you. You just have to respond to Him. And so go through the door and you'll find out that you are one of His chosen. God knew the day that I was going to be saved. I didn't know it. In fact, I wasn't even thinking about being saved the day I received Christ. I was looking for beer. And and so I had no idea that that God was going to have this army sergeant sit me down on a rock out in the middle of Fort Irwin out there and preach Christ to me. But God knew that. He knew that day I was going to respond. And He knew that I would find out there is no beer big enough to solve the problems of life. But Jesus can. And, and so as I responded, He said, Oh man, I chose you from the foundation of time. You're mine. And so, he wasn't shocked at all. You know, God's never shocked because he knows everything there is to know. He can't learn anything. We're never going to surprise him. He's never going to say, whoa, wow, that was a new one. No, he's already seen it. He's witnessed it. It already happened in his view of time. And therefore... He calls me and has always called me His chosen Son. You see, once you open your heart to Him and you receive His forgiveness of sin, you are His son or daughter. You are a true son or a true daughter of the King with all the full benefits of a child. Now, I have a little bit of understanding about this. Our oldest daughter, Tara, is adopted. She's 40 years old, but she's adopted into our family. She came to us when she was six, and, and she lived in our house with the full rights of our children. I mean, she had equal access to us as mom and dad, all of the benefits that our natural-born children have. In fact, we just had a, a family vacation this past week, and all of our kids and grandkids, it's great. We do it every, every year. We take one week, and we all go pack ourselves into a cabin in Utah. 
and just have a blast. And Tara was there with us, and um, she was just as much a part of that family as our natural-born kids. In fact, she's a full heir to everything that Daniil and I have, all 40 cents. Now, now you would have, she's probably wishing maybe another family would have adopted her, but I don't know. But she's equal in every way to be an heir to everything that we have. And so it is with God. Every spiritual blessing is available to us who have been adopted into His family and have been adopted as children by Him. He has good intended for us at all times, just like a father should. Paul says, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the good pleasure of His will. He desires for us to step into that blessing. Now, William Barclay says this in his commentary about adoption. He says, in the Roman law... When the adoption was complete, it was complete indeed. The person who had been adopted had all the rights of a legitimate son in his new family and completely lost all rights in his old family. In the eyes of the law, he was a new person. And so so new was he that even all the debts and obligations connected with his previous family were abolished as if They never existed. And so when God saves us, He takes us out of that that family that is destined for hell and He puts us into that position where heaven is guaranteed and all of the debt of our sin is removed and now we have this good blessing that He has promised to us. Paul said this to the, the Romans in Romans 8, 16 and 17, he said, The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with Him, that we may also be glorified together. We, we are grafted into His family, and we are joint heirs with His natural Son, Christ, and, and so we... We are the benefits of of everything that He offers as a father. You see, you can't earn the right to be His child. It's only by His grace that this can happen. Grace is unmerited favor. You can't earn it. You don't deserve it. It's unmerited. It's, It's not something you can earn or deserve. We can't make ourselves acceptable to Him. We're acceptable to Him because of what Christ has done in our place. It's His choice, His grace, that makes this relationship possible. He has freely given this grace to us that that we might believe in Jesus Christ as our Savior and receive eternal life. What a good, good Father. We just sang that together. He is a good Father. He goes on in verse 7. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sin, according to the riches of His grace, which He made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of His will, according to His good pleasure, which He purposed in Himself, that in, this, in the dispensation of the fullness of times, 
he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and on earth in him. This uh, is a great thing to consider being redeemed by the blood of Christ. And it's something I think that, that needs explanation because, you know, we, we invite anybody to come to our services and oftentimes we have people who are unbelievers that come in and and it can be a morbid thought. I mean, we, we throw words around in Christianity like, you know, during communion we're drinking blood and, and you know, people come in and they're like, what did I walk into? I mean, this is a little bizarre. And, and so it needs a little explanation. When, when the Bible talks about being redeemed by blood, we have to understand this is something God started at the beginning of time. He, he created man with the idea that if man were to sin, that the only way that redemption could take place is that there would have to be shedding of innocent blood. And we have examples of this all the way back to Genesis. You remember when Adam and Eve sinned, the original sin, they realized they were naked, they covered themselves with fig leaves, and then God comes along and says, Adam, what, you know, what are you hiding for? And, and go through that whole dialogue. And he recognizes that they have these fig leaves covering their nakedness. And he gives them animal skins for their covering. Well, what happened when he brought the animal skins is he killed the animals and shed the blood. That was the covering for the sin. Innocent blood had to be shed in order for the sin to be covered. Then we see as the the Mosaic laws instituted that there's animal sacrifices that has to be a, a lamb without blemish. It has to be, you know, innocent blood that is shed. It was all a foreshadow of Jesus. The only perfect man to ever live was going to shed his blood so that you and I could be redeemed. And so through his blood, we have the redemption of sin. And and as they... They put the, the nails through his hands and his feet and they put the crown into his forehead and the spear into his side and the blood poured from the body of Jesus. It was the only blood that was qualified for the redemption of man from his sin. And, and so um, we have to understand it's through the blood of Christ. There's nothing morbid about this. It's the plan that God set into motion He's the creator. He can make the plan any way he wants it to be. This is the plan he chose, is that blood would redeem man from his sin. But it had to be innocent blood. Jesus was the only one that never sinned. His blood was the only blood qualified. And, and so when he went to the cross and, and shed his blood, we should never take that for granted. We should never take it lightly. As his blood was spilling onto the ground, that blood was precious blood that was necessary to redeem us. And so we put our faith in what he has done and, and the shedding of his blood, and, and you know we receive Christ as our Savior, and he lavishes us with wisdom and understanding. But, but we take it by faith. Now, it doesn't mean we have full understanding. There, there are other things that we exercise faith with that we don't really fully understand or even fully think through. You exercised faith when you came in here today and you sat in the chair you're sitting in. You had faith that that chair had four legs and not three. 
Because if it had three, you wouldn't be sitting the way you're sitting right now. You would have fell on the floor. But but you didn't like come in, examine, and understand it fully, and understand the whole dynamics of four equally posted legs. You just had faith to come sit on the chair. So as a byproduct of faith, and exercising faith in what Jesus has done, we're told the eyes of our understanding begin to open. We don't understand it all to begin with, but as we exercise faith, the eyes of our understanding are open. Paul said this to the Colossians in Colossians 2, verse 2 and 3, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, and attaining to all the riches of the full assurance of understanding, to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. That there are riches in the understanding as we begin to study His Word and understand Him that unfold. We, we can come to know Him by faith, and then Jesus, the mystery, is unfolded to us and revealed. He gives us that full understanding of the value of a relationship with Jesus. We step into that understanding by faith. Verse 11. In Him also we have obtained an inheritance being predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of His glory. Now once again, he, he reminds us that we are chosen, we're predestined to be His children according to the plan of Him who works everything out for the purpose of His will. You realize God never says oops. He's, he's incapable of making a mistake. He has a perfect will and a perfect desire for our lives? Isn't it great to know that we can put our trust and our hope in a God who's stable and sure in His plans? Peter tells us that that when we know the Lord, He gives us a living hope. It's in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. It's a hope that's alive. It's a living hope that we have in Jesus. A hope that's alive and actively a part of our lives. And so you ask, well, how does a person get this hope? Well, it's a... It's a natural response to the living God cleansing you from your sin. Think about it for a moment. The God that created everything that is. The creator of the universe. Desires to have a relationship with you. Folks, if we could fully understand this, I mean, if we could fully wrap our brain around what that means, that a God that is so huge and massive and beyond our comprehension desires to have a personal relationship with us, it would radically change our life. 
This is a God who holds the world and all of the universe in the palm of His hand. And yet He desires to know you and to know me personally. And to show favor to me as a sinner. Wow. Not just show me favor, but He's willing to put His own Son on a cross to die in my place, to be punished for my sin so I can have a relationship with Him. This is incredible. In fact, I don't even know how we contain ourselves sometimes. It would be a good time to say amen. All right. You see, one of our problems is this. We're so consumed with what people think about us, we sometimes lose sight of what God thinks about us. And if we could fully understand how much God has for us and, and that He is consumed with pouring out His grace into our lives, our undeserving lives, if, if we could fully understand that love and that grace, we would be changed. The, the hope in us would be alive. It wouldn't be just a, an afterthought. It would be living in us on a daily basis, actively changing us day by day. Now think about it. He chose to love you and to love me all the while knowing that we were going to rebel against Him and get our lives tied up in some really horrific things. Some of us have sinned greatly, and yet God still loved us. He still purposed for us to come to salvation knowing all that we would do against Him. Folks, if we could understand the weight of that, it would radically change our lives. And so, think about it. He chose to love you before you sinned. It's a powerful thought. He still predestined us to be saved and free from the sin that entangles our lives. A natural response to this type of grace and uh, is to hate the sin that caused Jesus to go to the cross. Realizing that, that this sin that we have done and we have entangled our life with has caused Jesus to die. And, and no longer living in contentment with that sin as a part of our life. The writer to the Hebrews says it like this in Hebrews 12. One and two, he says, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down, at the right hand of the throne of God. And, and so, this, this writer of the Hebrews is saying that, that we have to be willing to throw off that sin that entangles our life. To not just live with contentment, to, to be you know the, the same person that we were before we asked Christ into our life, but because of what Jesus has done, to throw off that sin that entangles us. As we're given much grace, it's reason enough for us uh, that our thankfulness will produce a change 
in our in our life and a desire to throw off that sin from our lives now probably not going to perfect that because by nature we're sinners we're still from time to time going to fail and and so when we do we get back up and we confess that sin and we throw off the sin and we continue to walk with the lord don't just get stuck in that place where you just say yeah you know what this is just me you're saved from that sin Throw it off. And now, the, the five most popular words a preacher can say. We're going to end with this. Verse 13. In Him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of of the purchased possession to the praise of His glory. Now, in these two verses, we really do see the entire process of salvation as it took hold of the, the folks there in Ephesus. First, they heard the Gospel. In Romans 10.17 it says, So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. Just like you're hearing the message this morning, faith comes through the hearing of God's Word. Hearing about God's grace and His mercy for our lives. Hearing it and makes sense. And, and knowing that I can't save myself, it makes sense that God has a plan to save me. Paul said this to the Romans in Romans 10.14, how shall they call on Him whom they have not believed? How shall they believe in Him whom they have not heard? How shall they hear without a preacher? And so these folks in Ephesus who, whom he's writing to, they had heard the message either through Apollos or Paul. They heard that message preached. And after the hearing of the gospel, it says they believed the message that was preached, that there was faith in what was being preached. It doesn't say they understood everything there is to know about God. They exercised faith based on what they had heard. The faith to receive Christ as their Savior. Now you may not understand everything there is to understand. It's faith in the message that you've heard. It's a message that says God loves you and He put His own Son on a cross to be punished for your sin and mine. You see, you know you've sinned. Nobody has to convince you of that. Every one of us in this room knows that we have done something against God in our lifetime. We, we don't have to be convinced of that. We, we understand that even one sin keeps us from being in a relationship with a perfect God. And so... We, we look at what the Word has taught us this morning. We understand that God has a plan set in motion in the fact that He's perfect and we're not and that there was a need for man to be redeemed. Jesus shed His blood so that your sin and my sin could be removed and that we could have a relationship with a perfect God. Now once they heard... And they believed. They responded to the message they heard. Then it says God deposited His Holy Spirit 
into those who believed. The deposit of His Spirit into the lives is evidence that He was at work in their lives. And it's the same for you and me. When, when we receive Christ as Savior, remember last week we talked about three different uh, aspects of the Holy Spirit interacting with man. One of them is that He comes and dwells in us. When we receive Christ, the Holy Spirit comes into us. It's, it's a guarantee of that future eternal life that is promised. And, and so when we receive salvation, He deposits His Holy Spirit in us. And, and we now have that Holy Spirit in our lives, working in us to put our life in check. When we step out of bounds now, we're, we're convicted of our sin and our rebellion against God. And, and we can't do the things we used to do. You see, if I choose sin now, I can't do it without conviction. I, I may still follow through with it, but I will be severely convicted for what I'm doing. The Holy Spirit's not going to let me just continue to be a knucklehead. And, and so he, he will convict me. He's in me to do that. His Spirit is, is now deposited in me. Now, it's not deposited in us so we can just be guilty all the time and walk around hanging our head and kicking rocks. That, that's not why He gives us the Holy Spirit. It, it's so we can live in victory. It's so we can live with the joy of of the Holy Spirit and the joy of the Lord in us as we walk with Him. Remember, He has good intended for us. He's not angry with us. His Spirit is given out of goodness, intended for our benefit. It's also proof of, of God really being part of our life. And so we see this complete package in these two verses. Hearing, responding, and then finally God responding to that response by depositing the Holy Spirit. So my question to you this morning is where, where does your life fit into God's plan for salvation? Do you realize that you can seal eternity this morning as you sit in this room by receiving the message that you've heard and responding to it? Now, maybe you're sitting here thinking, Pastor, come on, I sit here every week. You know I'm born again. Really? Are we going to do this again? Week after week? Yes. So what is your response if you're already a believer? Well, if you're a Christian already, this hope has been deposited into you. You, you have that living hope inside of you. And so now your response is to throw off that sin that, that encumbers your life, to, to recognize those things the Holy Spirit may be convicting you of and to throw it away and get rid of it and to stop that behavior and to serve Jesus to the fullest of your ability. Rejoice in the fact that God has sought you out to establish this relationship with you and then to deposit His Holy Spirit into you so you can live for Him. Respond to His grace with that desire to glorify Him. And then be a communicator of this. Share that good news with other people. Let them know the goodness of God. We serve an awesome and a wonderful God, don't we? 
Now, if you came here this morning and you've never made a decision to follow Jesus and to accept his payment for your sin, today is the day that you can settle that account. You can be like those who in Ephesus are described in these last two verses. You've now heard about God's love for you. You've heard about his plan to save you from your sin. And now it's time for you to respond. And if you respond, then you have that same promise that he will put the Holy Spirit into your life as a guarantee of that salvation. You have God's promise that if you respond, he will respond. I'm going to give you that opportunity today. Take hold of that eternal life. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you. For your word, we thank you, Lord, for the promises in your word. And I, I pray for each of us who are believers already. Lord, as we take in this understanding of what it means to be chosen from the foundation of time, to know that you have good intended for us as your children. Lord, to have the idea of, of a response to that, that amazing grace that you have poured into us as throwing off the sin that has so entangled our lives. Lord, may, may we live in such a way that it brings honor and glory to You. May we respond to Your Holy Spirit this morning and put our own lives in check in those areas that, that they've been out of bounds, Lord. I pray You would gift those in this room to bring glory to You. And Lord, for those who are not saved, I pray that You would move upon their heart and drawn to yourself. And I just want to give you that opportunity right now to pray and to ask Jesus to be your Savior. If that's you and you've not done that and you want to know today that your sin is forgiven and that you have eternal life, then just put your hand up in the air so I can see it. I'm going to lead you in a prayer to receive Christ as your Savior. Anybody at all? Lord, thank you. Thank you again for the hope that we have in Jesus. May we live our lives to your glory, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together.